Coming up in episode 78, we chat with Carrie Wilkerson and she confirms my decision as to why I am not buying my boys a car. Join us. Welcome to the Her Money Matters podcast, the preferred podcast by many women across the globe to help you take control of your finances. Join me, Jen Hempel, a motivational money coach and your host each week as I share with you practical, simple money insights and real life stories by women like you. Let's do it. Happy 1st of December. We are already in December, wrapping up almost 2016. It is in the midst of the crazy busy holiday season. And here you are listening to the Her Money Matters podcast. So I am grateful for you being here. If this is your first time uh, listening to the show, I welcome you and I appreciate you being here. Now, I want to remind those of you who have been listening for a bit that the Her Money Matters Inner Circle is open. I am filling slots. You can uh, sign up at jenhempill.com forward slash inner circle if this is something you are interested in. We are starting at the beginning of January, not exactly January 1st. And if you need more information, feel free to send me an email or just go back to episode 76 and it'll give you all the information that you need about it. So what are you going to learn in today's episode? Our guest is going to share what she learned from her mom about the side hustles before it was even a thing. She's also going to share why she rewrote her money story and continues to do so from time to time. And she's also going to share the impact that she has experienced from creating experiences in terms of when she spends her money. She focuses that money on creating experiences over the fancy restaurants, branding, clothing, and such. So let me share with you a little bit about Carrie Wilkerson. Carrie Wilkerson is a small town girl who was able to think beyond the city limits. And she is a best-selling author, international speaker, and a sought after radio guest. She's been featured on CNN and Fox Business News and named by Forbes as a top small business influencer. She's also consulted marketing and launch teams of Dr. John Maxwell, Zig Ziglar, Google Small Business, and other influential business leaders on business strategies and current trends. However, Carrie mostly enjoys helping ordinary people lead extraordinary lives. She has also paid off over six figures in debt, lost half her body weight, which was about 135 pounds, and has run several successful businesses from home. She's a proud mama of four kids, ages elementary through college. You are in for a treat, so let's go ahead and meet Carrie. Welcome, Carrie Wilkerson, to the Homer Money Matters podcast. I'm excited for you to be here. Thank you for having me. I'm honored. 
Well, you know, I don't know if you know this actually, but <laughs> I've been following you for quite a bit, actually, from the beginnings, I think, of my online journey. So it's really neat to have you on the show and be able to talk to you. So I'm excited、oh, about、nice. it. <laughs> Yay. Well, that flatters me. I'm glad you've stuck around that long. <laughs> and then on、uh, Instagram, you, I love your hashtag, carryon, is so perfect. <laughs> So perfect. But anyway, so I wanted to start off with getting to know you, how you grew up around money. So, your money story. So, could you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah. So, my money story is super simple. I was a military kid. So, the money story was there's never enough, right? I mean, that just boiled it down. That was the attitude, that was the conversation, that was how we operated. There were five of us,、uh, three kids, two adults. My mom chose to stay at home with us. And, you know, military is not a high paying career. So、nope. <laughs> um, there was never enough. So the story was can't afford that, or we're so blessed to have the basics. Or、uh, my, the other part of my money story is my mom was always, you know, she always had a side hustle before that was a thing. So she was always teaching piano lessons or sewing for somebody or. Doing little things to make ends meet because, back to the story, there's never enough. And that was it. And then my dad, when he retired from the military, actually as a highest ranking officer, still not really high paid, he went into the ministry. So there was even less. Interesting. <laughs> What branch of the military? He was Coast Guard. My、okay. dad was United States Coast Guard for 27 years.、Wow. And honestly, yeah, I wouldn't trade his career for all the money in the world, honestly. And I wouldn't trade my mom being home with us for more money. It taught us a lot, but there was a lot of money story I had to rewrite in my head as an adult. I hear you. Well, I completely agree. I'm a military spouse, Air Force here, but so I love that you shared、uh, that you're a military. And I also went through the same thing of there was never enough. Uh, growing up. So, besides you hearing、uh, there was, there's not enough money, those type of things, did your parents teach you some things about money, or there was, wasn't really that conversation aside from there's not enough money?、Um, you know, they were really good about teaching us that when it's gone, it's gone.、Um, <laughs> you know, there were, there were no debit cards. Of course, I'm 44, so it was a different day. So, when I was a kid, there were no credit cards, there were no debit cards. If your family had a credit card, it was like a Sears card for appliances or a shell card for gas. There were no debit cards or credit cards. People did not live on paying next month. And when you're military and you're paid once a month, when it's gone, it's gone. You know, <laughs> when the treats in the house are gone, they're gone. We don't just run to the store today and go pick up new things. Uh, if you get an allowance, when it's gone, it's gone. There's no extra or borrowing from mom and dad because they're probably in the same boat as you. So I think that's an advantage that money was very real and very tangible and not,、um, it didn't grow on trees and we couldn't get into a credit mess because it just wasn't available, if that makes sense. So、right. there, was, there was that conversation, but also money was kind of a big secretive thing. Like it's not polite to talk about money. Family business stays at the house.、Uh, it's not polite to ask people what that kind of career makes or how much their car costs or their house costs or their you know, clothes costs or where they got them. You know, everything was really shrouded. Whereas now I think we're a little more open about those shoes are amazing. And then she can say, Oh, I got these 50% off at such and such. <laughs> 
Well, my family, we never would have done that because you just didn't discuss money. It was a non-conversation. It was almost a shame conversation. It was like everybody knew you had to have it to survive, but it wasn't something to discuss. I hear you. And what would you say would be the best money advice you have received? I think it's the same as the best self-growth advice and goal-setting advice and parenting and relationship advice. And that is we create our own story. And we have the power to rewrite that story. So with my kids, they're not allowed to say there's not enough or we can't afford or any of that. The conversation at our house is if this is important to us, how do we make it work? I love that. Yeah. If this is important to us, how do we afford this? We make time for things that are important for us. Why can we not also make money or reallocate money or create money? to have this work. So I would say that we have the power to create our own story. And it's not about there's not enough. It's about what is enough. How do we create space for more or reallocate it wisely? And that the money needs to be a conversation. We're very open about money around here. Not as far as, you know, my kids couldn't tell you what my speaking fee is or (laughs) or a book advance, but I mean, they could tell you that mom makes an executive income and some of the things that are priority to us are family vacations and, you know, enrichment opportunities for our family. What's not a priority in our family is upgraded technology and Mm -hmm. fancy restaurants and brand name clothes. So We do have conversations about those kind of things, but I would say the best advice ever is you create your own story. Your parents' money story does not have to be yours. Your traditional money story does not have to be yours. Even your past money story as an adult doesn't have to be your story starting today. I love that. And I love that you say that. I completely agree because that is what I heard a lot. We can't afford it. We don't have money. And once I realized the power of as you said, creating my own story. And instead of saying we can't afford this, but how can we make that happen? There's something magical about asking those more positive questions uh, because the brain helps you. <laughs> if you yeah. ask, you kind of receive from your brain. It's, it's such a, it's a powerful, powerful thing. So I'm glad that you brought that up. Now, I was also reading on your story, and at one time, you were in a debt of about six figures. So can you tell us about that and how you got out of it? Yeah, I've actually done that twice. So I'm a slow learner, but I catch on eventually. <laughs> the good part of that story is it it didn't take me as long to get out the second time because once I kind of figured it out, I went, oh, I'm so stupid. Okay, I can I can do this. I know how to do this. I've done this before. Um, and that's part of changing your story, too. If you know, everybody will kind of say who the spender and who the saver is in their house or who's good at math and who's not good at math. Again, it comes back to recreating your story and being a student of things that matter. And you don't necessarily go into debt because of a layoff or because of a bad economy or because you have to have new cars or fancy clothes. It really can be just one takeout pizza at a time, one bad decision at a time, one business software or business course or mismanagement at a time. And it adds up like weight. It adds up faster than you can imagine. And you wake up one day and you're like, how did I get to this weight? How did I get to this debt? How did I get to this fractured place in my marriage? And it's because of inattentiveness and reactiveness instead of proactiveness. So that being said, those of you dealing with shame about this, 
get over yourself. A lot of the country is in the same place. It's a matter of making different decisions starting today. So I have no shame about that. It doesn't mean I'm proud of it. It just means I don't beat myself up about it every day. I just can't. I've moved on to a new story. So the way you get out of that is number one, you stop the bleeding, you stop the extra spending, you stop the I deserve this spending, you stop the inattentive spending and even some of the technology spending. You just stop the bleeding in a lot of ways and you really buckle up. The other really logical way is to, and again, so many people teach these courses. I don't teach a course on this, but the other logical way is to increase your income. Mm -hmm. And most of us do not have a boss that we can go in and just ask for a raise, but we all have the ability to do a side hustle, whether that's a job or a business or freelance work or selling for a direct sales or MLM company, we all have the ability. We can clean houses, we can babysit, we can cook, we can mow lawns, we can go be a barista at Starbucks. We can do something to create additional income. And whether you think you're too good for that or whether you are gonna have a short-term sacrifice of missing your family or whatever that looks like, you deserve to get out of debt and pour every bit of time and energy on that for a short period of time to recover from that. And then we do better moving forward. I love that. And I love that you brought up earning extra income because there's only so much that you can cut out <laughs> in a budget or your expenses. So it's definitely, I also love how you said the in inattentive spending. So really be intentional uh, with the spending and really be open to earning more income if that's something that's going to help you and propel you forward towards your goals. I'm glad that you brought that up. What would you say you do well with money? Stretch it. I'm good at stretching money. <laughs> I'm good at creating experience with money. So a lot of people don't think anything about expensive cell phone bills or their whole family having lots of devices and all those things. And and I think that just becomes very ethereal and nobody remembers that. I'm really good at taking that same amount of money and making sure our family remembers what we do, whether it's a vacation or all of my kids have gone to space camp at the age of nine with their dad. It's been a parent-child nice. space camp. Yeah. And so that money, other people will say to me, oh, I wish we could afford to do things like that. And yet they're driving, you know, a brand new vehicle or a leased vehicle all the time. So I think I'm really good at being intentional with money and tying it to educational or sensory or experiential things. We don't eat out a lot, but this weekend I'm hosting a dinner party here and I'm having it catered. And it's because I want to be able to enjoy it. I don't want to be stressing out in the kitchen, but I want to kind of spoil the people that are coming. And so I'm taking the same money that maybe we would spend at Chili's or Chick-fil-A <laughs> or Spaghetti Warehouse and not even think about that as a family and channeling it into these really intentional six couples that are coming over for the same amount of money that the average home spends dining out once a month, I'm creating this really neat experience that hopefully, you know, will remain with us for a long time. So I think I'm really good at creating experience with income instead of letting it just dissipate. I love that. And it sounds like you're very clear on what you value and your your spending aligns with those values, which I think yeah. is very, very important. So thanks for sharing that. Love it. Now, what would you say is the best money that you've spent? 
Um, the bet that would probably depend on the year that you talked to me. <laughs> This year, I would say that the best money I spent, and this will sound really shallow, and then I'll explain it. The best money that I spent this year was plastic surgery. So let me explain. I've lost over 140 pounds, and I had a lot of skin, a lot of skin hanging out on specifically on my arms and upper body. And so I spent about a year ago, actually this week, I had... I had six inches of skin per arm removed. Um, Here's what was happening. I mean, some people can say it's vanity. You know, the fact is I'm 44. I have young kids still. We are in Texas for the love. So we do a lot of sleeveless, a lot of water. And I just felt like that skin, literally when I moved, it would like slap up against me. So we can all Mm -hmm. make fun of old lady arms, but I'm not old. So It was baggage that I was carrying around that every time I moved was reminding me of my past mistakes and self-abuse. And I said, yeah, I said, I can either choose scars or, and and to be rid of this baggage, or I can dismiss this and just be beat up by it every day of my life. And so I invested in having that skin removed. And I tell you what, what it did for my confidence and to kind of reward all those years of hard work and to kind of forgive myself for the past. You know, I said Mm -hmm. that earlier about debt. You can't beat yourself up about it every day. You can't. You don't have to be proud of it, but you can't beat yourself up every day. I felt the same way about that skin removal. It was no cure for sure, but it, it did help me not beat myself up every single day and help me move forward in a really positive way. So I would say that that plastic surgery, um, you know, I didn't have, I haven't had any implants. I haven't had any like facelifts. I haven't done any of that. We're really just talking about skin removal. And I would say that's the best money that I've spent. And the return on investment has been like better confidence. My Mm -hmm. speaking, I'm probably speaking 10 times more this year than I did last year. And that's because I'm putting myself out there more. My pictures, I feel better about my videos. I feel better about. So So there's that. I mean, that's something I could keep a secret, but why? It's good money that I spent and I loved it. Good. Well, I'm glad you share that. And I think you brought up, I know some people think it's the vanity, but I think when it comes to, like you said, it's, it was something that was lagging on you and it brought you that confidence and you're putting yourself out there more for a business and being more visible and getting more speaking engagements. Yes, absolutely. I mean, I'm sure other in personal life too, uh, at home. And, you know, I'm sure it's done that good things for that as well. So definitely, I agree. It's definitely good money spent. And what would you say are some challenges that you may have around money? Um, You know, I'm an optimist. So I would say that my challenges around money are the same as my challenges around time and around obligating myself. And what I mean by that is I always think there's more time. I always think there's, you know, more money right around the corner. I always think there's, you know, that every light's going to be green on the way to school. And, and so with time, (laughs) with time, I've really gotten better. I used to be that perpetually late person because it's of my optimism. And I, I was confused when there was construction and I was confused when there were red lights or accidents or whatever. Uh, So I'm better about that with money. I do tend to think, I have to be really careful and really intentional because I, I do tend to think, oh, we'll go ahead and book this trip because I know that I'll get two new speaking gigs next month. So spending on speculation 
Mm. is something that those of us that have been in debt before have to be very careful of because all it takes is one person to change their mind about a contract or one person to go with somebody else as a speaker or coach or whatever. And it shifts my financial perspective in a mighty way. So I have to be careful with not spending it in advance. And I have to be mindful of it every single day. So that may seem like a weird admission, but I think as an optimist or as somebody who tends to think the best of people in the best of circumstances, that can get us in trouble. And then we have to bail ourselves out of a mess that we really had the best intentions of going into. Right. And I, before we jump into today's content, keep your ears peeled for a unique reveal I'll be sharing midway through the show. It's something special just for you. So glad that you talk about that just because a lot of people do this. So where they look at what they're projecting, not even in just in business, but let's say uh, you lent some money to a friend or let's say you're expecting money, not the necessarily the income that normally comes in and you're budgeting for that money and then something happens and yep. I come in, it throws everything off. Uh, right. and, I, and I see a lot of people doing that where they budget that not that no kidding that's going to come in, but the potential money. And in, and in business, uh, things happen. Uh, yeah. Something falls through the cracks, something happens. So, uh, but the great thing is that you're aware of it. Uh, and that it's, that's what it sounds like to me, that you're aware of it and more yeah. intentional on that. So that's great. Yeah. So I'm married to a pessimist, which would probably surprise some people because I'm such an optimist. If you're familiar with Winnie the Pooh, I always say he's Eeyore and I'm Tigger. <laughs> and, you know, that's pretty common, right? The extremes in our relationships. He's also an accountant and a financial planner. Interesting. And yeah. And I'm a financial speculator and spender. <laughs> and so what I like to say now, and I used to resent that, like, why do you always assume that this is going to happen? And why do you always plan for the worst? When now I, I think it's a good, healthy balance that I have to plan as if he is correct, mm -hmm. that the world is ending, that there's a financial apocalypse and that no one will ever hire me again. I have to plan that way, but then I have to expect and market for the best. So that way, when a transmission goes out or when a kid has a surgery, uh, for instance, three of the six of us have had mono like all summer. I oh mean, my. We're going into month four. Um, wow. my, my college girl is on her fourth month. My nine-year-old daughter, she is on her seventh week. And um, it's just been crazy. And because they didn't diagnose it right away, we had CT scans, we had blood work, we had radiology. And we're now getting all the bills from the insurance company for mono, which is a virus. And it's costing us thousands and thousands of dollars because of all those tests that everybody did. And that's not something we planned on. It's not something you speculate on, but you also cannot resent it. Right. You have, you have to say we have to plan as if we have medical expenses all the time and then keep working as if we, uh, you know, are expecting an influx of money. So it's a fine line and it's yeah. not always fun, but that way you get caught with your pants down less, I guess. I hear you. I hear you. Now you mentioned your husband is in finances. So you said an accountant, a financial planner. Yes. You said one. Yes. Okay. So tell us a little bit, just 
a quick snippet of how you all manage the finances. Do you use a spreadsheet? Is he, are you all more software? Do you do some of the managing or is it all him? Um, maybe you just use pencil and paper <laughs> and a calculator. Yeah. yeah, we've done a little bit of all of that. When we first got married, I actually handled all of it. He was a grad student and um, it, it was so much simpler when we got married 25 years ago to handle you know, our finances. And we did use pencil and paper and the checkbook register. And we stayed on top of it that way. When it got a little more complicated, there was a season in our life that I was teaching and working a part-time job. We were saving for our new house and um, also for an adoption, those kind of things. He took it back over and handled all that. When I started the business, I started handling my own. And that's when I got so into debt because I wasn't paying attention and he actually was not part of that. Like he was handling household expenses and um, his income and all those things. And I was doing everything separately and not paying attention and, and I mismanaged. So at that point, when we had the conversation, we decided to actively start getting out of the mess I had made and I own it. I absolutely own it. That's when I turned it all back over to him in almost a hired capacity saying, I want you to cut the business checks. I want you to track spending. I want you to work with the accountant on this and just let me sign the back of the paycheck. I don't even want to just give me a little bit of allowance every month right now while we're digging out. I don't even want to be responsible for it. I had to go cold turkey for a while. And then we've, we've done a balance of all of it. Now we do a little... Uh, he helps me with the taxes stuff. I send him my receipts and pictures of that tracking. Otherwise, because I'm an optimist, I wait until like January and say, oh, I know where all those receipts are. Oh, I'll remember all those expenses. And then it ends up late and a mess. So so I send him all those things. He gathers all those things. I do track my own expenses and things. I use QuickBook online just fair admission. I go in about once a quarter to update it and and recreate from there. It's not ideal, but it's what I do. I do recommend my clients set aside like 30 minutes a week to stay mm -hmm. on top of their books and those kind of things. But, you know, PayPal helps me with tracking. Stripe helps me with tracking. QuickBooks Online. So I do have some good backup systems. But honestly, I have a big file folder um, one of those colorful ones, like you sit down the tabs that you right. sit down, it's paper so you can write on it. And I have taken a ruler and marked off like September, October, November, December. I have columns. And then on the left-hand side, I have like payees. So whether it's cards or staff or taxes or whatever it is, savings account, piano, voice, dance, all those things are on the left-hand side. And then I have an amount across the middle so that I can track what's payable on what day, what um, I'm responsible for, what the balance is moving forward. So it really is a very manual thing. When I come in in the morning, I look, I say, you know, what's coming out of the account this week? What's coming into the account this week? What's the forecast look for January income and outgo wise? So it's very manual, but mm -hmm. um, it's also backed up with electronics. It just helps okay. me tangibly see it. Also on my calendar, I put big income coming in. Like when I have clients on retainer that recur, I put that on my Gmail calendar so that I know when that's being deposited or when I need to go track that down. I also have big expenses on there too. So I always know when like, you know, my son's tuition is due and when all those things are happening. So I have a little bit electronic. I have a backup on paper 
And then I also have it being tracked in software because money needs to be real. Back to what my parents said. I mean, it needs to be real. If you're just looking every day to say what's in the account, what's not in the account, it's going to bite you in the rear. You have to know when it's coming out, where it's going, when it's coming in and what it's allocated for. Love it. That is great. So a little mixture of everything. Got to love that. And what would you say is your proudest money moment? Paying off my debt absolutely (laughs) was a proud money moment. But I think my favorite money moment, um, well, there are several. I love paying cash for trips and, you know, surprising my family. That's always amazing. But um, with my kids, we open a savings account for them when they turn five. They are paid for reading. They are paid for some chores. They, of course, like most kids, get a little bit of money on their birthday and Christmas from grandparents and aunts and uncles and those kind of things. We don't have like any rich people in our family. They never get a big amount of money. But when my kids open their savings account, we're really we have money conversations with them starting early. And anything that goes into that account stays in that account. It's a one way door. The only time that they can get money out of that account is when they're ready to buy their car. We do not buy our kids cars. I have four kids. They are 9, 12, 19, and 21, and we do not buy their cars. So here's what happens. They get paid for reading. They get Christmas money. They decide how much goes into the account. So if they get a $50 check from a grandparent on their birthday, they can decide to put it all in there or they can decide to put $20. Whatever they put into their savings account, we match going in. Oh, nice. Okay, so they immediately have a match going in, and then they have compounding interest until they're 16 years old, which adds up. Yes, it does. It definitely does. So when they hit about 11 or 12, it dawns on them, this is how much I have now. I better get it in gear if I want (laughs) to buy a car when I'm 16. So when my daughter, who's now 19, was getting ready to buy her car, she, of course, was looking at what all her friends were getting because she was a young graduate. So all her friends had cars for a year or two before her. Her friend's parents were getting car payments. They were doing all the down payments. Her friends were getting new cars, leased cars. I mean, it was kind of a nightmare. And she was a little disappointed that she was going to have to buy her own car. But then when she started car shopping with her set amount of money, I want to say she had $6,500 three years ago. Mm -hmm. It helped her adjust her expectations on what she was getting because our agreement is this. You cannot have a payment Mm. until you can pay cash for a car. You cannot have a payment. We will not co-sign. We will not finance nothing. It makes sense. It makes sense to me. There's something powerful like my parents didn't buy me a car and I agree with you wholeheartedly. (laughs) And my husband, I have he kind of wants to buy the boys a car, but I'm like, no, let them do it themselves because there's the the pride that you have when you did it yourself is yep. is unmatchable. So I love that you're doing that. Yeah, and she's also responsible for her own repairs, for her own maintenance, for her own gas. We do cover her insurance. She will take over her insurance her senior year in college. We give them back a bill. Like she just took over her phone payment starting her junior year, starting her senior year, she'll take over her insurance so that she starts stepping up her responsibility on all that. But she, um, so my proudest money moment was the day she picked out her car, test drove it and wrote a check out of her personal account to pay for her car. And then she even had enough to write for a year of insurance. So that was 
that was an amazing day. She takes great care of her car. She's named it. And she <laughs> called me. She called me last semester and she said, you know, mom, I want to thank you for making me buy my own car. And I said, well, I knew this day would come. I really <laughs> thought it. I didn't know when it would be. I said, but I'm curious as to why you say that. Right. She said, she said, mom, I have friends dropping out of college because mm. all of a sudden their parents can't afford their car payment. They're having to take over their car payment and it's five and six hundred dollars. Ouch. Yeah. Well, because they overspent, they over obligated. Mm-hmm. The parents situation has changed or maybe the parents pay in for college. We also do not pay for their college. They have to do scholarships or we have a little fund for them. But I mean, we're not writing a check every month is my point. Right. I'm rough. Right. I'm tough. I'm t- I teach a lot. I of love it. That's that's good. That's good. So that, that proudest money moment was her writing a check because all the other kids were there and they saw that we meant it right. <laughs> and that they better start taking it seriously. And knowing now that my nine year old is already saying, OK, that hot pink bug that's coming out this year will be about seven years old when I start driving <laughs> and that will be in my price range by the time I start car shopping. That is I, so beautiful that I the thinking it. behind it, that is yep. That is priceless. That is absolutely priceless. I love it. This has been wonderful, Carrie. I loved everything that you shared uh, and definitely be proud of all you have accomplished and with those kids, with everything business. So as you know, this podcast is all about making money simple and taking control of it. So how would you finish the sentence, her money matters because? Her money matters because it can change everything. It sure can. I Money love can it. Money can change everything. Every cause you're passionate about, every person that you care about, every experience that you have on your list. Money can change everything. It matters. And it's not the love of money. It's not the pursuit of money. But it can change everything when we use it the correct way. Love it. Well, thanks again for being here, Carrie. This has been wonderful having you on the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. So what did you think about Carrie? I thought she was just fabulous. And I loved having her on the show with everything. She's just this natural storyteller. And I enjoyed hearing her experiences, her stories, everything that she had to share on today's show. And I also had a takeaway, uh, which I will share more in a moment, some thoughts that I wanted to share with you. But before I do that, I want to do my normal shout out to someone in our community. And this week, I want to recognize Patricia. And Patricia has definitely been a part of our community for a little bit now. And not only that, but I've been able to connect with her and get to know her a little better through my recent workshops or webinars or online classes, however you want to call them. But what I really have loved is she's been asking questions And she's not only asking those questions, she, you can tell that she's taking that information that I have given in those workshops that are free, by the way, (laughs) those, that information she's taken, she's running with it and she's implementing and that I completely love. So Patricia, I just wanted to recognize that, that you are doing fabulous. Keep it up, keep motivated and keep in action. Now, as far as uh, today's show and the takeaway was really more of a confirmation. If you heard me at the very beginning, at the very beginning of the introduction of the show, I mentioned how what she said about 
how they refuse to buy their kids' cars is a confirmation for me. Now, with a little bit of my background in terms of that, that I may have not have shared in the past is that I was not one of the kids that their parents bought me a car. They did not buy me a car. That's something that I had to do on my own, but I became more appreciative. It humbled me, one, and two, it really gave me more of a sense of understanding of money. And it really put me, instead of taking things for granted, I really got a better feel because I had a car loan. Uh, Granted, at that time, my father had to co-sign, which I don't know. Sometimes it is, it could be a good thing. It's and sometimes depending on who it is, maybe it's not a good thing. But when you're younger, that might be the only solution. Uh, so as parents, you have to make that call. But why it this confirms my decision and my husband's not next to me, <laughs> by the way. Uh, so I'll have to share this with him. But it really just hearing her speak and her experience with a daughter that's already bought a car, it really confirms my decision that I feel that the boys should buy their own car. Now, why? (laughs) Besides what I shared of the experience that I had uh, and the impact that had on me, that I think it definitely set a foundation and a stepping stone into my personal finance journey. But I think also in today's age, because money is literally, it's all virtual. Uh, you can pay by phone, uh, of course, on credit, online, that that sense of money and how we teach our kids money, it changes now. And, and there is this conversation of those that feel that you should teach kids money with actual cash and others, well, it, it's not really a thing that you should do because of how we pay now that we really need to get into the times and, and teaching them that way. So there's a disagreement on, on two sides of the house. But I think with having them buy the car and go through the process of saving the money throughout time, I think that is so beneficial for our kids. Of course, you may disagree and that's completely okay. I think some of us wants to give our child uh, a car just because we want to be that giver, give those things that we didn't have growing up. But I think we also need to think about in doing them a service of showing them more money responsibility. And you heard how her younger daughter, I don't know how old she was, I didn't ask that question, but because she saw her older sister write that check to buy that car that she had been saving up for, and granted, their parents were matching their savings. So that's another thing to consider. The parents were matching the savings. But seeing her older sister do that and the impact it had on her because she's already thinking in terms of what kind of car she would like, the year make and model and how, and she even took it to the next level of thinking that that however many years, seven years down the line, the car would depreciate and therefore uh, it would be more affordable for her. So things of that like that. So just... Of course, this is just completely your choice, but I'm just sharing with you why I believe for my children, I will definitely make sure that they save up to buy their own car Uh, because I think it's definitely a good first experience as, as far as in terms of a big purchase. 
uh, that them being vested in that big of a way gives them more sense of responsibility, a more stepping stone into the real world. Uh, so just my thoughts, take it for what it is, take it and uh, run with it or to run away from it, <laughs> whichever way you want to do with it. So that is it for today's show. I hope you enjoyed my chat with Carrie. Now, next week on the podcast in episode 79, we speak with Erica Gellerman and she shares her story of getting out of debt. That includes leaving a steady corporate job to an alternative career. And you'll hear more about that. So I want to thank Carrie for joining us and just sharing so many great nuggets. Be sure to uh, learn more about her over at CarrieWilkerson.com or you can find the link as well in the show notes over at JenHempel.com forward slash 78. So thanks again for joining me and I will talk to you again next Thursday. Mm-hmm.